In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, a film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. Each and every week, we drop a podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and where all good podcasts are found, where we talk about movies, movies we love, movies we hate, and all the fandom in between. Join me on the pod. It's my main man. It's my co-host. It is the John from John McLean, the John from John Rambo. No, it's not. It's the better John. John Desker. How are you doing, pal? I'm good. Um, you never run out of intros for me, and that is why I love you, Flinny. Uh, I'm Aww. good. How are you? Yeah. Do you have good Valentine's Day? Did you do anything romantic? Uh, none of your business, but yeah. <laughs> we had a lovely old time, me and my wife. Um, yeah. No, not bad. Didn't really get down with a romantic chick flick, uh, but that's not usually my vibe. What about you? Do you have a movie that you go to on valentine's day uh, we don't really to be honest we kind of forgot it was valentine's day um it went until <laughs> i i don't i don't like the breakfast in bed thing yeah that's what yeah. kids do to you and uh my wife was just like well you've been so fucking nice to me i was like well is that your valentine's day oh um <laughs> but for the record best romantic comedy is probably love actually well, is that it, a Christmas movie or is it a romantic movie? I mean, it can be both, but where does it sit more? What camp does it sit into more? I I would go along with that. I think Love Actually is a phenomenal movie. And it's actually, a lot of people don't like it, which I never really realised. There was some serious ritual to Love Actually, but those people, in my opinion, actually just need some love in their lives. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's a bit problematic now, though, ain't it? I mean, the Alan Rickman character of basically, you know, cheating or attempt nearly cheating on his missus with someone at work, the prime minister firing someone so he could date her, to the best man at a wedding basically trying to steal a kiss. Very, uh, I don't, it, it all comes across very charming, though. It takes all these horrible situations, which is probably. <laughs> Like, not very nice and not very woke in 2020, but made them so charming. <laughs> yeah, but it's only a story, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's very you. true. <laughs> speaking, of, um, speaking of story, I've been um, something quite filmy. On I'm an Audible guy. I, I fucking love it. I think it's indispensable. Um, and I discovered on Audible, they have these originals, and it's basically just audio books or audio shows that they have got exclusivity to and this was a really fucking interesting one one is alien free now you say wait a minute alien free that's been around for years it's a film well, we know it's a film well actually this is a script that was originally meant to be the alien free movie that would be made but the studio fucking hated it and then got fincher in the coat do his own version on top of that so this is a film that never happened but what they done is they went and got some of the cast from the alien films to sit and go through this script and narrate it and it's fucking fascinating i mean don't get me wrong there's a reason why it didn't get made into a film to begin with because it's it's okay but it's not it's not that great, but it definitely laid the foundations of stuff that would be in later films, which I found fascinating. So that's something filmy I've been doing recently. Oh, very good, Flinny. Love it. 
Actually, let's do our giveaway now. So anyone who is following the podcast for the first time, click on that follow subscribe button so you get more stuff like this. But this is the first time we're doing our giveaway on the pod as opposed to on our Twitter account. From time to time, we do giveaways. We either partner with uh, companies like we have done in the past with Dead Good Tees or film production people like A24, or sometimes just out of the kindness of our heart, we'll do a giveaway on our Twitter account. Basically, to get involved, all you needed to do was uh, follow Talk Film with me on Twitter and retweet the post in the competition concern. This time, we're talking about a Funko Pop. It's a Harley Quinn. It's awesome. 80 people entered. John, pick a number between 1 and 80, and I will select the winner. I'm going to go for lucky number 79. 79. So I take all the Twitter handles by order of entry, and I'll just pick number 79, which is, drumroll please. <clears throat> I wrote... Ironically, he's called John as well. This is John with the Twitter handle Negasonic Boom. Dude, thank you so much. Well, yes, yes, it's cool. It's cool. Uh, So, John, thanks so much for entering. Big shout out to everyone else who entered. Thank you so much. We'll keep doing more giveaways at a later time. But I'll get in contact with you on Twitter. You'll have 48 hours to get back to me with an address to send your prize to. And, and yeah, let's keep that, that shit going. So, anyway, crack on with the first review. I'm Sonic, a little ball of super energy in an extremely handsome package. On my planet, people were Sonic the Hedgehog. It is a film that has been doing the rounds for a little while. Let's acknowledge the elephant in the corner. This was meant to come out towards the end of last year. The reason why it got delayed was because the first trailer dropped and everyone saw the big blue hedgehog for the first time on the big screen in these trailers. And it turns out it's the stuff of nightmares. Fair play, though, to the development team involved and the film production current company. I think it's Paramount. Uh, they dedicated time and resource to get this right. They even got one of the original animators from the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon series to come in and lend a hand in getting Sonic looking ship shape. And this is the film we've got. If you do not know, Sonic the Hedgehog is a blue hedgehog that can spin around and jump and collect coins. It's based on a video game, a classic platform. John? Does this video game hold dear to your heart? Absolutely. I was a Sega man over the Nintendo, so Sonic was a big part of my childhood. It was one of the first video games I ever played around my cousin's house. They had more money than us, so it was very early. <laughs> blew my mind watching him play Sonic. Uh, obviously, I wasn't allowed to play. It was his game. But uh, Sonic, very dear to my heart. So, yeah, anticipation for this movie was reasonably high despite the uh initial <laughs> cgi <laughs> issues they had but it sounds like they've done a better job than what cats did when they tried to read oh well <laughs> yeah less uh, le- less of the cats the better but with this film this is a video game adaptation it is fair to say that video game adaptations don't tend to fare well in terms of quality uh this film though what was a really interesting turn of event is that jim carrey has taken the role as dr robotnik so i'll go into like the the plot and the synopsis and like the i'll review in a moment but i kind of want to just set the scene so this film kind of had a bad rap for it being a video game adaptation which aren't which aren't particularly good most of the time anyway the main character didn't look right and it was delayed as well on top of that so it's fair to say that expectations was actually quite low in the film twitter sphere but lo and behold here we are it was released on february 14th people were like why release it on valentine's day that's a bit shit well actually it's half term and um, 
in the UK at the moment. So it turns out it worked out really well and it's worked out really well for its box office. But again, I'll go into that in a moment. So basically what this film is, is that Sonic the Hedgehog is an alien living on his home world. I won't go into reasons as to why, but on his home world, he has been, he's had to, he's had to run away. He's had to find exile and he carries these rings that transport him to different places. He decided to crash bang land on earth where he was in this little village where he was noticing these townspeople, but he had to watch from afar. Basically in his years on earth, he was, no one knew he, he was around. He was just running around getting up to mischief. Basically, why he was getting up to mischief, his powers are that he can run very, very fast, and that he's blue and he's a big fucking talking hedgehog. Basically, during one of his excursions, he's playing a baseball game by himself. It's quite a funny scene. If you've seen the trailers, you've seen the scene I'm talking about. Uh, that causes a big blackout, which causes the US government to find a top expert to track down this extraterrestrial. This specialist is none other than Jim Carrey's Dr. Robotnik. While Sonic is on the run, he bumps into a friend. That friend is played by none other than James Marsden. He didn't realise it, but Sonic has been living in his back garden for the best part of four years. And basically, James Marsden's character is a copper. He's got to look after the alien and get across the country. It's basically it's a buddy cop movie where it's road trip elements thrown in there as well. That's probably the the hundred thousand mile view of it. Um, yeah, let's get to the business of this. This film should not be as good as what it is. Like this film's actually really charming. It's got elements of those. Do you remember in like the nineties there'll be these kind of CG movies with uh, when CG was still going through its its kind of infancy. It would be a cartoon character in the real world where you had the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie, you had a Yogi Bear movie. Uh, well, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was the original classic, wasn't it? Oh my god, that was fucking incredible, wasn't it? This is no Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Let's just be clear. Let's get that off the table. But it very much reminisces of those times in terms of, you know what? Yes, it's a, it's a stupid CG character hanging out of a human. They're in a car most of the time. You know, there's some really funny scenes in this. In terms of the other casting involved, Ben Schwartz does the voice of Sonic. You may know him as John Ralphio from Parts and Recreation. His voice in this is interesting. When I first heard it, it really jarred me, but that's because, similar to John, I'm of a generation that has kind of known Sonic for a long time, whether it be through cartoons or the video games, and you're kind of used to a certain voice that does that, and hearing someone else's voice do a completely different take on that is different. Also, Sonic is a child in this. He's an infant, and he's got an infant curiosity, and it's kind of weird seeing that from a character you kind of know some canon about but jim carrey oh my days this is 90s jim carrey john let's just yeah, let's just get out back, there now he's back on he, form he is back on form he is having the time of his life with this role he is throwing in some classic jim carrey style body movements flailing his limbs his <laughs> character is kind of like it's not the dr robotnik from the games yet it's kind of like an origin story for that character. But obviously, as you can probably imagine, it's not a spoiler to say he progresses to be more like the Dr. Robotnik you re- you remember from the games later on in the film. There's only a couple of things to like take the, the gloss off this, is that this film, I don't want to say the word derivative because that feels really pretentious, but all the key gags in this, all the big jokes, you've kind of heard before just written slightly differently in other films or TV shows. All of the big action set pieces that you've kind of seen before in other things. For example, when Sonic wants to go really fast, everything around him goes slow motion. 
And that means he can have fun with that. He runs around the scenery while everyone's kind of paused, while he's having a drink quickly. He's pulling someone's pants down because it's funny and, and all that sort of stuff. You've seen that. You've seen that in X-Men movies with the Quicksilver mm-hmm. scenes. You've seen that in in The Flash on the TV show and in the movie adaptation as well in Batman vs. Superman and that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like it's been done, so it doesn't have the same punch it's had before. Still good, still done very well. But it's just like I was like, meh. Seen you've seen this movie, and if you've seen mm. the trailer, you've that they have blown their load for the trailer. <laughs> they, they have given away so much. I'm not saying don't see it because it is a really good, charming movie. But you're not surprised as much. They could have held some back, but I totally understand why they've done it because when they released that first trailer with fucking Gangsters Paradise in the background and Sonic being the stuff of nightmares, they literally had to claw us back. And this is a really, really good film. It's really enjoyable. Um, But, you know, it does have some things going against it. As I mentioned, it's a bit derivative of other stuff. Also, you can tell that with the effects, they've had to kind of overlay their new Sonic. It's amazing how quickly they've managed to fix and correct the Sonic. But obviously, this stuff was already filmed. It was in the can. It was pretty much ready to go. So there's some scenes where it literally does look like they've just copy and pasted the new Sonic over what was there before. You know, I think this is going to start like a cult following, though, because a it loads of people have seen this film. Actually, in the last week, it has grossed more money than any other video game adaptation in its first week box office taking, which is an amazing achievement. It is also broke, done better than broke even. It's made that and then some, considering how much extra money they had to put into to get to this point. I mean, that's an amazing achievement within itself. But For sure. There is some other things that go against it in terms of, um, yeah, like I say, the scene's a bit derivative. The the CG sometimes looks a little bit poor. But you know what? Maybe it's just the star power of Jim Carrey and a bunch of 90s kids taking their kids to the cinema. Who knows? But um, I was quite impressed with the uh, way they recreated the green zone and mushroom zone. They seem to have paid good homage to the, uh, you know, the 90s dads that know these games <laughs> quite well. Uh, I think that's a nice little Easter egg for us. Maybe not so much for the yeah. kids who don't give a shit, but seeing him sort <laughs> of run, going around the loop the loops and those sort of checkered boulders, it's all kind of nice little enjoyable tidbits, isn't it? Oh, 100%. There is tons of Easter eggs over this. In fact, like uh, the cities they visit, some of them are named after famous levels. Uh, Little things from the TV show, they kind of drop in as well. Some bits from the games. There's loads of great Easter eggs within this. I do think this is going to get a bit of a cult following, though, in terms of, like, say, for example, I don't know how they do this, but I would love to see what the original cut of this film was with their horrible, nightmarish Sonic. Like, I don't know if they put that as like a DVD extra or they release it as a separate thing, or if they want to make a fuckload of money. I think there's enough people out there. If they actually said, for one weekend, you can actually go see Sonic the Hedgehog with the fucking horrible CG <laughs> hedgehog we've done. That would make... Fuck it. They they managed to make re- they managed to do a second cut of Cats with less human hands in. They've done sudden cuts of Birds of Prey by changing the name from Birds of Prey, uh, the emancipation of one Harley Quinn to something much more simpler. So maybe it's doable in digital. I don't know, but I think it'll be fascinating. And um, this was directed by Jeff Fowler. I think he's done absolutely amazing jobs. Uh, Patrick Casey and Josh Miller was also the writers on this. The sort of stuff that Jeff Fowler has made before. 
2004. It's mainly more to do with animation. Uh, he done Go For Broke in 2004. But more importantly, he done Where The Wild Things Are, which was an amazing child's, like, children's movie taking a beloved element with some amazing CG. So there's obviously some, like, pedigree to this guy. And, like, it shows here. Like, seriously, there are some really, really good elements within this. I'm going to go on Rotten Tomatoes and just see what the the critics of the world are saying. But in the meantime, John, my score, I'm thinking, I feel like it's a three out of five, and that's not a bad three out of five. It's a recommendation. I took my kid to go see it. She generally loved it. Um, the critics have been quite panning of this. They've been you know, saying the sort of stuff that you kind of expect critics to say about it being derivative of other stuff, and the effects aren't particularly great, and you know, the, some of the jokes didn't land for them. And that shows on the tomato meter. That's 65%. But the fucking audience score, 94%. Yeah, it seems like it's another case of one of those movies that maybe us, us snobby critics aren't giving it the kudos it deserves. But um, a lot of people, a lot of critics sort of enjoying seeing Carrie back to his best maybe in this and long may it continue. Ace Ventura 3, please, next, if you could, Jim. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's let's go with what what the critics have been saying. Then, so I look at some some rotten critics. Uh, actually, number one of the people that have slammed this film is Hannah Flint, who has been on this podcast before. Hannah, we always respect your opinion, but she has put. <laughs> Unfortunately, the script's humour is not nearly sharp or quick witted enough to warrant the few cursory laughs from the audience. Oh, I I I don't agree with that, but. You're pretty awesome, Hannah, so I'm not going to go too far into that. But uh, she's gave it two out of five, so it's not like we were too far off. Let's see what some people that loved it have said. So James Perkins at Starburst, who is a top critic, has come out and said, After the Rocky production initially, the team behind the big screen debut of Sonic the Hedgehog have crafted a wonderful, smile-inducing 90-minute nostalgia trip that is equally entertaining for adults and kids alike. That's perfect. Agree. James, you nailed it, mate. That's exactly it. It is a nostalgia trip in terms of you thinking about the video games. Yes, yeah, you know, it's not. It's a, it's a perfect ninety-minute kids movie that's got some great elements of some shit you remember. What more do you want? Put that on the poster. Yeah. Um, so I stick with my my uh, my feelings on this. It is three out of five. I will probably buy it when it comes out because I really want to see the ugly Sonic cut. Um, I don't know if that was what they'll call it, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, there you have it. Three out of five, Sonic the Hedgehog, got to move fast. My power. And I'm using it to protect my friends. Let's go! Let's go! When music gets commissioned for a movie, 90% of the time, it's not really part of the public site, guys. People don't really know too much about that. It's a crying shame because the amount of talent that goes into the people that make the music for films, whether that's the musical score or a musical song that gets released off the back of that, obviously the geniuses like Will Smith, um, it's, it's it doesn't really make public site, guys. But... When it's a James Bond movie, the whole world pays attention. From bookies taking bets over who's going to make the song. There's, I even saw there was a bet over what the title of the song is going to be. This was before it was announced, obviously, that No Time to Die was going to be called No Time to Die. And I think it was it two weeks ago that Billy's song came out, No Time to Die, or at least it was started the preview. And last night at the Brit Awards, she played it live with an amazing orchestra. It was a big, big thing. And that started me thinking about what is the most iconic 
Bond songs that have been out there. Bond, not Fong, sit down, Cisco. Uh, John, like when I say, what's your favourite Bond song? What's the first thing that pops to your mind? Live and let die. But I am a Beatles. (laughs) I know it's cheesy as hell, but it's not the best. It's just my favourite and most iconic. Uh, Goldfinger, although... Alan Partridge somewhat ruined that for me. <laughs> um, and my favourites, I love the Jack White and Alicia Keys one, Another Way oh, to Die. Really? Um, oh, my God. Yeah, so we have an, I'm, I'm guessing you've got a lot of disagreements with this. Obviously, well, Diamonds Are Forever, the cliche, you know. Uh, yeah. But, you know, they're my personal favourites. What about you? Uh, well, I find it really hard because the song is always so intertwined with the movie, right? So if mm. the movie's a stinker, you automatically have got something against the song. So, for example, I really don't like the Sam Smith one. I think it's writing's oh, on hate... the wall. Oh, it's rubbish. It's one of the worst. Yeah, no, but the film's quite bad as well. So does that make the song worse? Do you know what I mean? But then again, Quantum of Solace was pretty bad, or Quantum of Sausage from wherever you are in the world. And But No Time to Die is actually okay. I think um, no, You Know My Name is such a banger of a tune. It's just so, I don't think that gets the recognition that song deserves. I was at the Secret Cinemas um, version of Casino Royale uh, halfway through last year, I think it was, and I haven't heard that song in a while, but, but when they played that, I was just like, this song is such a banger. Like, this is such a good song. I do, I'm going to say something remotely controversial, which is I think Live and Let Die is a pretty shit song. It's got a riff to it. Don't get me wrong. It's got a banging riff. But after the first 40 seconds, (laughs) no one fucking listens to that song after 40 seconds. Because then, you know what? It becomes a pretty poor reggae song. (laughs) It It becomes quite, it becomes average. It becomes bang average. I just, I just, I'm a Beatles, you know, if I was born in the 50s and 60s, I would be full in Beatles mania. So I, he can do no wrong. Um, but no, it, no, I, I also I think it's that. iconic. It's iconic. But do you know what? Skyfall, for a modern, I think that's the one that will be remembered in another 40 years from this era. I what agree you with reckon? you on that. Yeah, I do agree with you on that. I think if you look at some of the more, it's just a classy song. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I say, Diamonds Are Forever, that's a classy song. Um, and I, you just, like I say, it survives the test of time. I think when we look back over Daniel Craig's reign as uh, as, as he was Emperor of Bond, um, as he was in charge of kind of shepherding the new wave of Bond over the last decade, you will think probably you'll associate Skyfall with him the most because Skyfall's probably... You know, although obviously we haven't seen No Time to Die yet, it's probably still going to be Skyfall being his best Bond film, and you'll associate that song because the film was so good and the song was so good. It won an Oscar. In fact, I think it was the first Bond song to ever win an Oscar, and I don't know how Sam Smith managed to win the Oscar the following year as well, but definitely Skyfall was worthy of it. I'll tell you what was also a, a banger, which kind of felt iconic, was the Pierce Brosnan's Goldeneye which was sung by Tina Turner. That was, I mean, it had it had everything to it. It just felt something so cool and stylish and sexy and all that at once, right? That was a banger. Yes. I, I agreed. It's a quintessential Bond song, isn't it? 
Yeah. Uh, Goldfinger used to be amazing and it still is amazing, but I'll, I'll share a bit of a story. So um, about three years ago, our friend Buster, hey, Roy, if you're listening, it was his stag party and we went to Prague um, because Essex lads, that's what you do. And um, there is a gentleman's establishment called Goldfinger and their, their, their whole stick was basically every 10 seconds it felt like it anyway. They would play the intro to that song and you hear And at the same time, there'll be this horrible cheesy voice going, Here for your viewing pleasure. And it was just like, Oh, this is this is a place that you don't want to be in sober. <laughs> it's the sort of place you. that you don't want to you know, you don't want to actually be in. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't come to that one. That's wow, that's quite something. So that, that song's been tonight. ruined. That song's been yeah. absolutely ruined. But, it um, is an amazing sound, though, isn't it? Wah, wah, wah. That is, you, that's so iconic. Mm. Um, so I put on the the Twitter poll for the Twitter polls. God, I sound so fucking old, don't I? I went to that Twitter sphere out there. Um, I went. I put a poll up on our Twitter account and. I basically put there's a bit of a debate going on. What is the top four Bond songs that are most iconic? You can only do four, so I just stuck in. You know my name: Skyfall, Goldfinger, and Live and Let Die. Guess what one? I'm going to say Skyfall. No, that came last. It was actually Goldfinger. So according to the people that saw the poll at the time, yeah, <laughs> you're only talking like like nearly thirty or something people that participated. I didn't bother retweeting. It was just a quick thing. Um, yeah, so yeah, Goldfinger, Live and Let Die was a close second. You know my name beat Skyfall, which I thought was very interesting. Um So what's but, your take on Billy's? I think it's a really good Bond song. I just don't think it doesn't kick up into gear like some do. Um but I think her voice I think the marriage of her doing the Bond song is amazing. And I think Phineas, her brother, has produced a really good track, which apparently Daniel Craig actually kind of gets some kind of saying, which is kind of news to me, but it's kind of cool that he gets uh, had some kind of input into, uh, you know, the song. I'm not sure he would actually be able to <laughs> get anything changed, but um, kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that is, I mean, well, first of all, my opinion of the song is that I'm not as up on it as a lot of people are. Um I think it's a bit dreary, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't like dreary songs, which is a terrible time to watch TV. It feels like every advert is just a dreary acoustic cover of a pop song at the moment. But that's just the old man yelling at a cloud in me at the moment. But um, that being said, you can see the merit within it. You can see that it's clearly a beautiful song. And she's obviously a very, very talented person. I just wanted it to pick up more. I wanted something. I think my personal favourite songs for these sort of films... And yes, you can say get the fucking times, but I do like the fucking pulsating rhythmic. Something's coming, something's building up. Yes, there's got to have the classic, um, you know, things to it. Obviously, got to have the scale of the do 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 sort of thing. Yes, it's got to have those hallmarks as well, but it's got to have something different, something to set it apart from the rest. And you know, in the eighties, that was when it really did shine through. Fucking Duran Duran. Jesus Christ, that song. I mean, that was that was a banger. You know, like, I just want a song that I can hear and you're in the cinema 
And look, this is what's the purpose of the song? It's because traditionally in a Bond film, we'll get an opening scene, which might be loosely related to the narrative of the film. It gets you in the mode. It's kind of like the reminder of, hey, it's been a couple of years. Here's the gentleman that you know and love. Here are some things that are going to change and possibly influence the story. Now sit back because there's now going to be a title screen where you're going to get the film and you're going to get the music that summarizes the film you're about to get. And I love it when it really picks up and the animations kick in and all that sort of thing. So it's got to complement that. I think, uh, hopefully, I mean, she's got to probably know what happens in the film because she's probably put elements into the lyrics from that perspective. I mean, it could be a shit. I mean, how bad was the fuck? And I don't want to keep kicking it, but the Stan, the Sam Smith one, where it's literally like a, he's probably told nothing. It was probably just told, oh, there's a scene where James Bond's name's on a wall. And he goes, all right, I've got it. I've got the whole song now. <laughs> um, I hope she's had a bit more of knowledge to be able to foreshadow some of the lyrics and hopefully people aren't reading into it too much yet. But yeah, it just doesn't pick up enough for me. It's it's good. It is no Skyfall. It's no You Know My Name. But uh, then again, it needs time to breathe. Yeah, well, I kind of disagree. I think it's a, really, it's a great Bond song and her voice just perfect for it. Yeah, like maybe when I see the title screen and when it for the film, I might go, nah, this this sits nicely. But uh, at the moment, I'm like, I'm very lukewarm on it. Do you know what? There are some really interesting, and I wish I'd done a bit more research on this, but there's a, a the way this, no other song for a movie works this way. So the the movie company will, will put out feelers for artists to be like, hey, do you want to write the next Bond song? And people are like, fuck me, Like this is an honour. Yes, of course. And they'll put their pitch in, they'll put in their their ideas and they'll collaborate with possibly people to do with the film. Daniel Craig, since Quantum of Solace, has been an executive producer in these films. He basically, as we've talked about this on the pod before, he essentially writes the law for James Bond. He sits down and really works on, okay, so this is what James did. He sees himself very much as the guardian of the character and he very much sees himself as an obligation to make sure that he does it right. And part of that is the music and yes he does have a say i don't know if it's more of a a uh i don't know the right word to describe it is i don't know if it's more of a, a token gesture of daniel craig has to give the thumbs up but apparently he's he's never given the thumbs up as fast as he had to this one but i said there's a really charming interview with him uh when he was doing the rounds for skyfall this was a few years ago when they talked about adele's song and he said the first time i heard that song i sat there and cried with happiness because for the first time, I've generally felt they fucking nailed the feeling of the film. And apparently he says he's got the same feeling for this song. So hopefully, hopefully this is some, a really, really good sign. But interestingly enough, Radiohead were commissioned for a song and that song never came to light. Muse also made a song, which they ended up sticking on an album. It's called Supremacy. Apparently that started life as a pitch for a Bond song. So there's there's quite a few interesting stories out there maybe there's a podcast in there or a tv show about finding the bond songs that never were um, <laughs> but uh who would you like to like is there any artist you think you know what like they should do a bond song it'd be fucking incredible uh radiohead i would love to hear what they came up with i imagine it was probably slightly off beat to be <laughs> mainstream enough for a bond song um but yeah, I think you've got to have it, it suits a diva, doesn't it? A proper mm. diva. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I mean, has there ever been a rap, a Bond rap? I mean, could you see 
Stormzy. No, there's a reason for that. <laughs> I don't know, actually, Stormzy could pull that off. I actually, now he as soon as you said Stormzy, he could pull it off. He is a very talented man and can somehow something. You know when like these certain artists break through and they just, you know what? It don't fucking matter if it's rap or hip hop, grime, whatever you want to call it. It's just. It's good. And there's a reason why he was able to headline Glastonbury at such an early stage of his career. And people didn't actually riot for it. They were very happy to see him there. That's yeah, That says a lot about him as an individual, to be fair. But um, no, I'd like to see. I'd like to see Elton John. Like the, the fucking yeah. the biggest diva going still. I know he's about <laughs> to retire. But uh, and he's just won an Oscar for his um his Lion King song. But I no, it wasn't I wasn't Lion King. Sorry, it was um the Rocket Man song he wrote as well. I think that he. I feel like it's a crying shame that if you look at the list of names from Tom Jones, Duran Duran, uh, oh god, I'm struggling to think of names all of a sudden. Adele, obviously. Uh, you think about uh, Shirley Bassey, some really classy names through the the halls of music. Apart from that shit one by Madonna. Oh my god, that sounded like a fucking dance track, didn't it? Um, but there are some amazing names in there, and you think, oh my god, that Elton John deserves that name deserves to sit amongst the the stars there. Um, so it would have been interesting to hear what his take would have been. But you know, we've got the next generation coming through. Billy's song, like you say, it, it may be in time. It'll get better and maybe the title screen. I'm not as warm as you on it, but uh, yeah. All right, John, let's just talk about Daniel Craig's songs. Are you able to rank them then? Uh, so, sorry, who? Oh, Bond songs. Yeah, so your choices are You Know My Name, Skyfall, Writings on the Wall, No Time to Die, and uh, uh, Another Way to Die. Put that in order with the best, the most iconic one at the top. That's, that's uh, well, the Sam Smith's one at the bottom. Yeah. Um, say, what were the other ones again? Uh, you Know My Name, the Chris Cornell song. Oh, Skyfall. yeah, I like that. Yep. Uh, okay. Another way to die, and this latest one, no time to die. I'm putting no time to die, maybe second behind Skyfall. Right. Uh, okay. Sam Smith's at the bottom. I'm doing this a bit of a weird way. No, it's cool, it's cool. I've got, I've got it, I've got it. Third is the Cornell one. Fourth is whatever one's left, which I've obviously <laughs> felt a little bad. Uh, another way to die. So, Sky, to die. so Skyfall, no time to die. You know my name. Uh, another way to die, and writings on the wall. I'll agree. Yeah, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. That's that's you allow one. it. Thank you. I'll allow it. There, there we go, mate. And what more importantly, what do you think? Get in touch with us on Twitter at Talk Filming to Me. Tell us your bangers. Tell us about the Bond songs that haven't happened or we would like to hear. Because I think it's it's an interesting topic. And yeah, maybe we'll continue it on if people send us some shit through. So DM us on Twitter at Talk Filming to Me. News. John, better call soul. Love it or hate oh, yeah. it. Love it. Uh, I'm I'm behind, granted, but I do love it. I think as far as kind of prequels go, uh, it's one of the better ones, one of the best. So all in. And I like that yeah. Vince Gilligan is his baby as well. You know, it's such a passion project. This whole universe he's created. Um, and I think he's maintained that quality from Breaking Bad. Sabbatical mm-hmm. Soul. So give me some news because this is where this is going, right? Yeah, of course. So season <laughs> five, it's been in the works for a little while. Uh, we got a trailer for it and we got the first announcement date. And it, the first episode, I don't know how they're dropping it. I assume weekly, um, but they have not been very clear on the details of that. But on Monday coming, 
Get your Netflix accounts ready, folks, because Better Call Saul is back on our screens. What's so fascinating about this trailer is that old Slipping Jimmy is starting to look more and more like the soul we know and love at the start of Breaking Bad. I generally believe that this is probably the last season of it. I think the reason why is because each season kind of represents a year in Soul's life. They were saying Better Call Soul starts five years before Breaking Bad starts. Guess what? It's season five, ergo, it's probably the last one. Um, but yeah, also we saw a bit of Mike getting down and dirty, having a bit of a scrap. The only problem is with this prequel stuff, as we saw with um, the Camino movie, is that these guys are getting older and they're supposed to be playing younger versions of themselves. Now, <laughs> now Soul looks looked like shit in Breaking Bad. So it was really easy to make him look younger because he just didn't wear the wig and prosthetics and just didn't look so shitty. Uh, so it works. But Mike, 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 you are, you're an old man now, son. You're an old man then and you're looking even older now. So I'm supposed to believe that this is you before the TV show sets that was made 10 years ago. It's getting hard to believe, but you know, I can still suspend disbelief because I love Mike. So it's fine. Did you, have you seen the trailer? What's your thoughts? I haven't seen the trailer yet. I'm sorry. It's okay. But, um, <laughs> but, but it's, it, we tweeted I, it the other day, get on the Twitter account and have a look, but yeah, it's basically, it's coming, get hyped. Yeah. Mike, he is an old man now. Yeah. What do you but, do um, about that? Hank's in the show as well. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they introduce Hank in a way that doesn't discredit anything that happened in Breaking Bad. I'm sure they'll do it very well, but that's an interesting challenge as well. Yeah, for sure. So an interesting challenge is is Robert Pattinson. So he was cast as Batman. This cast is absolutely incredible, by the way. You've got Jeffrey Wright, you've got Colin Fell, you've got, just to name but a few, some of the amazing talent. Also, Zoe Kravis, Lenny Kravis's daughter, um, is in this movie. And people are literally scraping the internet for as much information as they get. Filming started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there, was some sh- there was some pictures taken on set. Um, I've been speaking to Bill from BatmanOnFilm.com and trying to get as much information that I can. But guess what dropped matt reeve shared a video of our pats testing in the bat suit we didn't see all of it we just saw a little bit and it was literally drenched in red light so you can't necessarily see all of it if you're interested you already have seen it so i'm not going to bother going into too much detail other than that um it looks interesting it that's the only way i'd describe it but anyone who's like losing their shit and being like oh this looks fucking terrible Batman has a history of people not liking the casting. When Michael Keaton was cast back in 1988, when it was announced, he was only known as Mr. Mum from TV shows in America. It's a TV show called Mr. Mum. It was pretty shit. It was basically about, I'm a dad and a mom. You know, it was very, very bad. But uh, it's got a certain place in middle America's heart and everything else. People are up in arms. And every time a Batman has been cast, people are up in arms. Whether that's seeing photos of him in the cow or hearing little tidbits, it's not until we get the thing on screen can you actually pass judgment. Ben Affleck proved that as well. A load of people up in... Heath Ledger! Like, people lost their shit when it was Heath Ledger cast as the Joker. Turned out he got one of the best performances that character has ever had on the silver screen. So let's hold off a little bit. But, you know, it's interesting. Matt Reeves is a great director. The cast looks incredible. Let's just wait until we hear a little bit more. But just to kind of show something which is kind of freaky, John, we've talked about this before. Back to the future, hallowed ground. You don't touch it, correct? 
Oh, well, I'm guessing you'd touched it, haven't you? Someone's touched it. <laughs> so there's this amazing deep fake video. Have you heard of these, these deep fakes? I have, and I've actually I've seen the one you, you're talking about, and it was very jarring. <laughs> so for the uninitiated deep fake is essentially a form of technology that is able to take a face and basically place it over another video in a very realistic way this is something that's become quite scary of late because you can do this to doctor news reports you can do this to change evidence in court and people are really scared of the implications well one of the things that i don't care about that shit do what you want fucking tell me that the sky is falling and that the apocalypse is coming i don't give a shit about that don't touch my classic fucking movies that's what i don't want you to fucking do with it but that being said, someone has made a deep fake of Back to the Future. Only a couple of scenes. They have taken some iconic scenes from Back to the Future and they have placed none other than Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland taking the roles of Doc and Marty, respectively. And I've got to say, I kind of really want a Back to the Future mo- like movie with these people <laughs> in now. <laughs> this must have been, took some serious wizardry and serious time, but it seems quite a random thing to do. Like, uh, I mean, is this... This is just some dude. Why do they make it? Is there any reason, or do you think it's just deep fandom making bit of deep, deep fandom? Uh, bit of a bit of a maybe. It's part of a showreel. People do that sort of stuff for showreels for job applications. Believe it or not. So I'll be like, oh, here, check out my showreel. Yeah, I I done a deep fake of that, and it looked really realistic, and people thought it was pretty cool. Uh, so well, I'm, I'm, he's getting a job in some shady industry on the back of that video because <laughs> it looks amazing <laughs> it does and literally like any time the thought of a back to the future movie being made like the whole internet rightfully so basically slaps it back down maybe just maybe this is like a studio going make a deep fake do it and just put these people in and see what the, the reaction is i get like actually seeing that on the in the like out there on twitter i was like it looks really good maybe it could work and some people might now be listening to this going shut the fuck up man do not touch back to the future but anyway either way go watch the video i think we've shared it on the twitter account but all you gotta do is just search robert downey jr deep fake and there'll be fucking loads of it um we're talking about set photos earlier of the batman but other set photos that are coming out is the matrix 4 that's currently being filmed in australia at the moment keanu reeves and uh and a lot of the original cast from the trilogy are reprising their roles it's quite interesting because currently scheduled to be released at the same time as john wick 4 yes that's right you've got keanu versus keanu uh, that that will change like i i absolutely believe that warner brothers will not want two of their biggest franchises kicking off against each other on the same weekend but we saw the set photos we saw a photo of keanu's neo he has a beard he's got the long jacket on he's on a motorcycle which is being driven by trinity this puts all the feels in the right places and a big smile on my face i'm getting more and more hyped you getting hyped for matrix 4 now i'm all in yeah let's let's do it let's do it keanu won't make a bad movie he wouldn't do that to us he wouldn't ruin such a beloved he is on a hot streak so hoping the hot streak continues (laughs) something which someone who might not necessarily be on so much of a hot streak is obviously our man we love him though harrison ford he's just a new film dropped this week or the press screenings did for into the wild and basically this film is the first ever movie to have a dog that's not played by a dog as in there was no dogs used in this dog movie it was all cg dogs but to the point where there was an actor in the gray like gimp suit pretending to be a dog with harrison ford the 
the videos of the making of this film is generally the funniest thing you'll ever see. It is a little bit too far. I agree. We should not put animals in conditions they don't want to be in. And obviously we don't want to have situations like on that film, a dog's journey when the dog was chucked in the river loads. We don't want that. I'm not suggesting that, but there's something nice about dogs that enjoy being actors and getting lots of cool jobs. That's going to stop. They're losing their jobs to these CG dogs. Anyway, (laughs) Um, that's not what I wanted to rant about. I'm talking about Indiana Jones 5. That is happening. It is definitely happening. In fact, production is starting in the spring. They better hurry up, though, because, you know, with all the will in the world, Harrison ain't getting any younger. Are you happy for Indy, or do you think that's it? That's enough of him? I think it's, I think it's had its time. I think it's enough. Yeah, and it Christmas hasn't really... So lame. I don't think it's struck a chord with the younger generation, which is why it needs. Otherwise, you just nostalgia for us and i'm not sure we're yeah. begging for it unfortunately i think the member berries have run out for this uh I, I don't know yeah it depends how they make it if they build this as it's in these like last tip of the cap farewell sort of thing and they've done it in a way which isn't about space aliens and crystal skulls then you know what great but um yeah it's gonna be They've got a lot, it's an uphill struggle because of where they left it in the previous film. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But you know what? Open minds and everything else. But I want to finish off the news is that we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. So it's very strange that this uh, sort of thing becomes part of Zeitgeist later on. Is that we were talking how much we loved Rick Moranis and that like some of the films that man has been in. Like there was a period of time in the late 80s, early 90s, he was the biggest star on the planet. He was been in some of the biggest grossing films of those summers. And he's a beloved name. And by all accounts in Hollywood, he is one of the nicest men going. And But then he retired. He retired because, unfortunately, he had a bereavement in the family. His wife passed away. And that he wanted to stay at home and raise his kids because he, you know, that's what he wanted to do. And you can't say anything other than fair play to that. But rejoice. The king is coming back. Lord Buckethead will return. Rick Moranis is coming out of retirement for a new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie, which apparently is going to be, ex- I think it's exclusive to Disney Plus, but I need to, val- I need to you know, validate that. But I've seen that on a couple of sources. But more importantly, the man's returning. And how good is this? This is amazing news. Uh, it's so strange that we talked about this two weeks ago. He obviously listened to talk to Filmy to me and decided that was going to tip him over the edge. Uh, and egg him into it. I'm just looking at a photo of him now because obviously he's not an actor that we've seen, literally seen for 20 years. So, uh, but he's just got one of them faces. And I'm glad you told that story about bereavement and spending time with his family because he just looks like such a nice dude. And I'm really glad to uh, have him back. I bet he's still got some comedic chops. Uh, and I bet you, yeah. I'm all in. And if it's no good, he's got such a nice face that I will just say it's good anyway. Yeah, you know what? He, he, it'll be interesting to see how a Rick Moranis performance outside of 1980-something, 1990-something looks. And does that stuff still land? Does that stuff still work? I think it does because when I think back to some of his performances and the way he portrays his characters, it's not based on prejudice. It's not based on kind of, of its time it's kind of based on him instead so if i think about his character in the ghostbusters movie like just how how charming and naive and goofball he was and his character in honey the shrunk honey i shrunk the kids like there's so many different characters he's portrayed where you don't think oh we're well now like that, that it's all great 
And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. It's going to be called Trunk, okay, yeah. the movie. Okay, we can't possibly have more than two words in the title, can we? People can't remember that much. <laughs> um, but I think it's a good time for this. There's a lot they can do. Obviously, for a 1989 movie visually, this was quite groundbreaking yeah, uh, for a lot of ways. And it really, as a child, it, it completely caught my imagination and I thought it was amazing. Um, so, but you know, think of where your imagination could go now with it. Um, mm. So I think, ultimately, it's a good time to do this and hopefully, fingers crossed, they can make a good movie that can inspire a new generation of kids although they have all seen ant-man so all those jokes have probably been done um just thinking out loud i hope it's yeah. good but. <laughs> but, no i agree with you it's fucking iconic like that scene like in the cereal when he's eating cheerios like oh, that that fucked with my head so much Scary. as a kid i was like, oh my god imagine being in a big swimming pool of milk um or so- getting eaten by an ant Oh my um, god, the ant! But he become <laughs> the ant become like a pet for them, and it was so it was so good. And uh, that I, I, the most the scene I think about the most for that film is there's a a scene where I can't remember the name of the characters. Basically, Rip Marinus character and the the mum character. They're basically like, oh fuck, the kids have been shrunk. They're in the garden somewhere, and they've managed to create a pulley system where they're in hammocks leaning forward with a magnifying glass around the around the grass. I always think about that scene. I don't know why whenever I hear that movie. Uh, the second one wasn't that bad. Honey, we blew up the kid. I, I liked it. Then again, I was a kid when that came out. So obviously the things that I loved and the things that landed for me might actually make it a terrible film, you know? So who knows? But um, I think it depends on the writing style and the people they get in. Look, Rick Moranis, he could have come out of retirement a lot. So he has had so many opportunities. Like he has been approached on several occasions to reprise roles or to to come into new projects, and he has turned every one of them down. There must Even be a reason, right? Apparently, he has turned down Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like apparently, that is true. He was offered to come back for that. It was offered to even do a cameo in the twenty sixteen movie. Every time it was thank you, but no thank you. But this is the reason why I don't know. It's just a case of the House of Mouse dropped a bag of cash in front of him and said. You're doing a fucking Honey, the Shrunk, the Kids movie, or you know the story's dynamite. Who knows? But there's got to be a reason for him to want to come back. It's not just because his opportunities are there, because he's had opportunities before. So I agree with you. I hope they're making something banging, and I'm sure they will. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've liked what you've listened to and you're willing to go a little bit further, come on, baby, click on that like, follow, subscribe, whatever button it is that you get more content from Talk Filming to Me. And as mentioned, we'll drop a pod every week, our commitment to you, the people, where we'll be doing reviews, giveaways, interviews. I've got a few in the pipeline, which are going to be awesome, and also a bunch of filmy stuff in between. Anyway, more importantly, my co-host, my wingman, my Chewy to my Han, my Rick to my Moranus, Mr. Descamento, how can people find you? Oh, you can find me at on Twitter at Descamento. Sorry, you put me off with your Rick to your Moranus. Um, <laughs> for obviously reasons. I like it, Flenny. Well, there we go. And uh, from one bucket head to another, thank you so much for taking the time. Stay filmy. Hang in there till next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>